The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, but not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. Good morning. How are you? Good. Y'all ready to go back to school? <laughs> I understand the feeling. It's been, yeah, I know. It's been good to take some time and it'll be good to get back in. Yeah. I have a question for you. Where you live, do you ever hear the fire alarm, the fire siren? From the local fire station. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear it way out there, Liz or Alice? Yeah. Sometimes. Whoa. Sometimes, even when we're here at church, we can hear it too, right? When I first got here, it was a little scary because I didn't know what it meant. Where I grew up, whenever you heard the siren like that, it meant there was a tornado. That's not what it means here. <laughs> But then I got used to it. Every once in a while, it would wake me up, and I would think, wow, this is really early for a siren to be going off. But I realized something. Every time you hear a siren, there are people running in from all different parts of the town and all different parts of the county to help. Every time you hear a siren, helpers are on their way. They help people when they have all kinds of different needs, all kinds of different troubles, but helpers are on the way whenever you hear that siren. And now I kind of like the siren. I don't like that I have to hear it. It means somebody's in trouble or needs help. But I like that there's helpers, that they come from all different places. In today's story, 
Jesus is a helper. Jesus heals. And not only does that, Jesus helps people understand that it's good to help no matter what day it is, no matter what's going on. We learn through Jesus that the rules and the things and the patterns that we have in church and in life, as long as they're helpers, as long as they're helping, they're good. And if they're hurting us, hurting one another, we should ask a few questions. That doesn't mean that we get rid of everything all the time. It does mean that the helpers are a good thing. So here's why I want you to do this week. Since you're going back to school, I want, to, I want you to look for the helpers in your school. Look for people who are helping you if you're lost. Look for people that are helping you learn. Look for people that are helping you make new friends. Look for people that are helping you get to and from school. Look for people that help you all the time. Does that sound good? Should we pray? Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for all the ways that you help us. And we give you thanks for all the ways that people throughout our lives help us too. Thank you for the sirens of the helpers. Thank you for the hands of the helpers. Thank you for all the things and all the people and all the work that goes into helping us and the whole world. Thank you for the helpers in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. Can you go back to your seat? In the name of Jesus, amen. For the longest time, I wondered why we knew how long this woman had been bent over. And I've heard a lot of different numerology around it. Maybe the number meant something. I've heard a lot of speculation around it. But someone that I was studying with <laughs> this, this past week offhanded remark to me, oh, so she would have been about the same age as Jesus. That floored me. A lot of times, people interpret this text, traditionally and historically, as a woman who was bent over with bleeding problems for 18 long years. And if these would have started around the time that they normally start, she would have been Jesus' contemporary. A similar age to Jesus, maybe give or take a year, an equal to Jesus having grown up in a similar region, having gone to the same festivals in Jerusalem that Jesus would have went to, even at the time when Jesus was a child teaching in the temple, she might have been one in the caravan of people that traveled with them and had to go back and find Jesus way back long ago. This woman was likely a contemporary of Jesus, someone he grew up with. 
Now, it doesn't mean all that much. It doesn't have to mean all that much for this to be a part of that story. But they go over the number twice. And I think it helps us understand the personal nature of a Sabbath law. The law that God gives for the Sabbath isn't to force us into a rule because rules are good. The law of the Sabbath is to bring us into a moment of healing and restoration because God loves us. And here, Jesus says in action that the Sabbath is for us, not us for the Sabbath. We hear that in other parts of Scripture, too. And so we come to understand how God views a law, how God views a rule. It is judged by its fruit, much like anything else in God's eyes. What is this law doing? And what is this rule doing? What is this pattern of behavior doing? And not once, not once, Do I read Jesus somewhere only applying the rule without applying care for the human being? I find that remarkably freeing and remarkably good. Now, not many of us are involved in laws or making of laws or anything else, though some of us might be. Not many of us are involved in making rules, though some of us might be. Not many of us might be involved in the shaping the entire patterns of our civilization, though some of us might be. But we're all involved in our actions and the work that we take up and the work we don't. What if we judged that action, not by whether it was said to be right or wrong, not by whether it was traditional or untraditional? What if we judge that action like Jesus by its fruit, by what lifts up and builds up and helps, and by what harms. It seems like a good idea. It also seems really complicated, but it seems freeing. One of the best parts of the gospel is the freedom found within. One of the hardest parts of the gospel is what freedom brings to us in action and in calling. We are free to honestly choose what is good for one another, what is merciful to each other, what is kind, what is gentle, what is just. This is a great freedom, an awesome ability, a sign of mercy and kindness that the world absolutely yearns for, not to mention one another, right here in this church. And it is a hard thing to do, to be merciful when it's unpopular, kind when anger rules the day, gentle when the strong make waves. It is nonetheless good. The same person who offhandedly did math for me this past week also helped me understand a positive way of seeing this gospel. Instead of simply looking at Jesus' denial 
of some law or some pattern of respecting the law? Because I think Jesus still respects the Sabbath, right? Instead of seeing the negative, we see the positive. We say to one another, what does a good Sabbath look like? Well, Jesus was able to work and bear good fruit that helped his contemporaries stand up. Who has helped you stand up? Who has helped you on the Sabbath or otherwise find goodness and find gentleness and mercy? Maybe it's at a time when you weren't gentle or merciful with yourself. Maybe it's at a time when you had a hard time experiencing these things out in the world. Who is someone? That's someone that was able to judge goodness by its fruit. I think the mystery is that just like Jesus and this woman who was his contemporary, that we will find the absolute best parts of the kingdom of God held in the hands of the people we've known our whole lives long. Maybe the ones that we're friends with and maybe not. But we'll find Jesus taking the infinite and placing it in the hands of the person down the road. We'll find Jesus taking infinite love and placing it in the heart of the one that we know has messed up before. We'll find forgiveness, ultimate forgiveness from the very voice of God being spoken through one of our friends or neighbors or even acquaintances, we'll find the best that the kingdom of God has to offer and the places that we already know and think we already are familiar with. Jesus ties today one of the best parts of life, healing and mercy, into the familiar. So that we know, even when we think we know how this is going to go, what this is going to be, and nothing can ever change, we know that good can be there too. And so I invite you this week to look out at all that's familiar, everything you already know. Look at the stoplight that you've seen a million times before. Look at the house that you've been in for I don't know how long. Look at neighbors that you talk to every day. Look at friends. Look at one another. And know that these awesome, powerful, absolute divine things are for here, for everywhere, and for here, for all, and for you. Thanks be to God for tying the best parts of life into the familiar. Amen.